Baseball Italian style brings together the memories of major leaguers of Italian heritage whose collective careers span nine decades, from the 1930s to the present. In these first-person accounts, baseball fans will meet the players they cheered as heroes or jeered as adversaries, as well as coaches, managers, front office executives, and umpires at an intimate level. Join author Lawrence Baldessaro and some of the pillars of our national pastime in these historic and never-before-heard interviews. Baseball Italian style starts now. Mari Baldessaro interviewing Dario Lodigiani, October 2, 2000, in Napa, California. If you could just talk briefly about what it was like growing up, in, especially in the North Beach area, what, what are your memories of childhood? Well, I remember uh, when we were kids playing the North Beach playground, and at that time, you know, we were just a bunch of friends playing, not knowing that we were going to have uh, probably one of the most famous players of all time playing with us at the time with Joe DiMaggio. His brother Vince played with us, and his brother Dominic played with us. And then when uh, we used to go out to Funston Playground, and... Uh, at that time, the University of San Francisco was St. Ignatius College. And Ping Bodie was the baseball coach, Frank Pazula. And uh, he took kind of took a liking to me. I was about 14, I guess, at the time. And there was a fellow named George McSawley played uh, shortstop on the university club at the time. And he, and he, when Joe, when they were hitting infielders, you know, hitting center ground balls to the infielders, he used to have me get alongside of McSawley. He'd hit one of McSawley, then he'd hit one of me, you know, and, that. and I got to know Payne real well. He was a uh, short, stocky guy, but he had tremendous power. He could hit a ball a long ways. And then, of course, I knew George Puccinelli real good. And then when I went, uh, gosh, I knew of them, uh, these two players, uh, of them and their records for a long time, but I got to know them real well when I went to the American League, Frankie Corsetti and Tony Lazzari. And, uh, of course, there were so many Italians, and Dolph Camelli, Heath uh, Lucciolini, uh, of course, later on came uh, Gino Simoli, then uh, Dino Rostelli. So many Italian players that came out of North Beach Playground and Funston Playground. And every year, I remember, we used to come home at Seal Stadium and we'd play a benefit game, a CYO benefit game for Father Paulson. And we'd have the major leaguers against the minor leaguers. And, of course, we'd have all the big leaguers that played and lived in the Bay Area, in uh, Oakland area and San Francisco area, and we'd play against a minor league club. Somebody got the bright idea of having an all-Italian team play against an all-nation team. And we had Dolph Camilli at first base. We had uh, Harry Lavagetto. And uh, Art Garibaldi at second base. We had Frankie Corsetti at shortstop. And Joe Ringo and I at third base. 
In left field, we had uh, Vince DiMaggio. Center field, we had Joe DiMaggio. In right field, we had Dominic DiMaggio. And the catchers were Ernie Lombardi. And the pitcher was Ethelo Cellini, Joe Cascarella. And uh, the catcher was Ernie Lombardi and Vince Monzo. And we played against an all-nation team. What what year was that? Do you remember? That was in about 19... Oh, in the early 40s. And that all-Italian that all Italian all-stars, I think that game, I remember, we got a lot of bases. We won something like 14-3 or something like that. <laughs> and they said, the only way to beat that club is you get the Italians out. And they said that to us when, about uh, when I was with Oakland with Casey Stengel. He said the only way to beat the Oakland, a Oakland Acorns was get the Italians out. And here we had uh, Billy Martin, Gus Garcella, Billy Romandi, uh, Harry Labagetto and myself on the club. And when we would all be playing, we were all pretty tough out. Why do you think so many ball players came from San Francisco? Is it because of the availability of ball fields? There were so many amateurs. Well, I think too, and it was the times, you know, in those days when uh, things were kind of tough. You know, that was when uh, President Roosevelt started the uh, what was it? That program where he gave jobs to all of them. WPA, UPA. That's right, and. Uh, and we played a lot of ball, you know. I mean, there was nothing to do. A lot of them couldn't afford to, you know. The prices have gone to different places. So they just stuck around Funston Playground, North Beach Playground, Southside, and the different playgrounds, you know, around uh, around San Francisco. And we all played ball. And, of course, the Italian ball players came out of mostly from Italian neighborhoods, you know, like all of North Beach. And the marina, mm -hmm. there's where most of the Italian people live, and the ball players that came out of there from Funston Playground and North Beach Playground, being that we were from that area of San Francisco, not knowing at the time that there was going to be so many of them, okay? but so many of them, like when uh, Pink Bodie was the first one, and then Tony Lazari and Frankie Corsetti, and then uh, Jay Pinelli. Well, Babe was uh, played in the Coast League and played in the Major League for many years and then became one of the great umpires. Yeah, you betcha, Babe. He's a great guy. I knew Babe real well. So that was probably one of the reasons why there were so many Italian ball players come out of, you know, one name, one city, especially. And in the Bay Area. Lombardi was from Oakland. Oh, yeah, Lavagetto from Oakland, Billy Martin from Berkeley. Vince Monzo from Oakland, uh, Billy Romandi, and of course his two brothers had played. I don't know, right offhand, you know, I mean, you start thinking back, you can re probably remember a few more. Are you familiar with Romandi? Yeah. Okay. You were young and you were playing with the DiMaggio's. Did you all speak Italian? Oh, oh, sure. Oh, you bet. Yes. When I, we were kids, you know, we didn't know how to say boo in, in England, in English, but, but we spoke Italian all the time. Your family was from northern Italy, near Milan. Yeah. 
and the Dimaggios were Sicilian. Sicilian. So you spoke your dialect. Well, yeah, to them we did, but at home we spoke our dialect. You know, the difference between uh, southern Italy and northern Italy, if you talk, you know, one dialect, say, from around Lombardia, where my folks are from, or the, or the uh, Torino area, and you go down to southern, southern Italy, and you, talk, you didn't know what they were talking about. You couldn't understand them. I used to get a bang out of Joe, you know, when he'd start trying to talk Italian, you know, and he'd talk Sicilian, right? And I'd get a big bang out of that little tack he was talking about, you know. But they had to talk real Italian to him, the real Italian to him. So you could communicate with each other? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What, why did your family come to San Francisco, do you know? Well, my father, my father was in, uh, came over from Italy, uh, God, way before the earthquake. What and town was he from? He was from uh, just uh, southwest of Milano in a town called Boghera. Boghera, right. My father was from a well a little, Boghera was the name of the big city, the biggest city in that area, mm -hmm. but he came from a little town called Brogni. Brogni? Yeah. And my mother came from Provincia di Pavia, Varsi, Varsi, Provincia di Pavia. And that's like uh, from here to Napa Junction. And, uh, and you go both, you go from Varsi, you go up over the hill, you're in uh, Brogni or those little towns. Well, my father, he was, uh, he was here and he was in San Francisco during the earthquake. And, uh, of course, at that time, a big demand was carpenters and bakers. Being a baker, well, he had a job. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's when my dad came to Napa. But do you know why he came to San Francisco from Italy? Well, no. Well, I think uh, that was probably uh, when he left uh, Italy to come out, to come to the West Coast, to, to San Francisco for some reason. And a lot of people went to Buenos Aires. Now, Buenos Aires in South America was a great Italian settlement. And one of my aunts went from Italy to uh, South America. But then they all wound, wound up coming up to San Francisco and in the Bay Area. What reason, I have no idea. But then when my father went back to Italy, and he stayed back there four or five years, and then he married my mother, and he came back to uh, to the United States and came right directly to San Francisco. Because he knew when he got here, he'd get a job right away. When did you, uh, everybody played baseball, you said, as a kid? Well, when did you start thinking you might do this professionally? I have no, well, at that time, you know, you had no idea. You just wished, you know, because the Coast League was really the big thing out here when we were kids, you know. The San Francisco Seals, the San Francisco Missions, mm -hmm. the Oakland Acorns, you know, and we thought, holy cow, never thought of New York or Philadelphia, Chicago, or anything, because this was the big league out here, you know, and they were all our heroes. And uh, a lot of times I said, geez, I wish I could play with the Seals, you know, or somebody like that, but no, you know. And we just kept playing, you know, because in those days, Al, we had a fellow named Al Earl that uh, booked all the games in San Francisco. And you looked on Sunday morning, 
You looked in the paper to see where you were playing, you know, the teams you were. And there was a listing about like that in the paper. Now there's nothing. But he would book all the games, you know, of all the different teams in San Francisco. And they started from 8 in the morning, 10, 12, 2, and 4. Played, and no matter what park you went to, there was a ball game going on. So, I mean, there was always some place to play, somewhere to go. And uh, it was always, if you showed any kind of ability, you always had a place to play. And I guess, you know, you, you just kept playing with better players, better players, better players. And then when I played in the Golden Gate Valley, because we played San Francisco Boys Club, was the first time I ever wore a baseball uniform. And then from there to uh, junior high, and then from then to high school, and then semi-pro baseball that uh, we all got a chance to play. And then there was different people, you know, like Spike Hennessy, old baseball coach. I used to be around Funston Playground, and he used to help all the kids, you know, teach, especially teach them how to slide and how to bunt the ball and all that, which was something. always had some coaching going along. And that helped you get a little better and a little better. And then as you're playing with better players, and if you could make that arrangement, you know, and, uh, and get up to that level, well, then you could play anywhere in San Francisco. But uh, there were so many, many, many great, good ball players, you know, in those days, and it wasn't easy to get a start. Because some people, some, some, especially in the Italian neighborhood, the parents wouldn't let you go. I had to beg my mother to let me go to uh, spring training, you know. I don't know. And my father said, what do you want to do? Be a baseball player? You become a bum? I said, what are you talking about, Pa? And he said, well, and he was kind of reluctant to let me go to, you know, sign a contract and go to spring training. But then when I started playing and I started making money and I'm making more than him, he said, hey, you got a pretty good job. So that's how I got started in baseball. And I, and I was going to go to St. Mary's. I had a scholarship to St. Mary's. And it was during the Depression years, you know, right after 33, 34, 35. I said, well, if I take a chance and I don't make it, I lose the scholarship. As it was, fortunately, I played 21 years. So uh, I sent a lot of checks home. So were they reluctant because they didn't think you could make a living playing this boys game? Right, right. They, you know, didn't understand it. My father thought that bocce ball was a national pastime, you know. He didn't know anything about baseball, you know. <laughs> he, he was something, but then he, he got to be a pretty good fan. He got to know the game? Oh, already. yeah. Like I remember, we had a, a baseball a baseball announcer in Oakland, Bud Foster. You remember him? Sure. He was a good baseball announcer, and uh, he would say in that bat, you know, Darryl loaded Johnny, and then he'd say, "Come the pitch," and Lodi swings, and he hits a high pop up to the infield. And my father used to get shook up with the high pop up, and he'd say. Now, what does he mean in a te- broken English? What a broken tiny say, What does he mean as a broken a, a pop-up for this infield? I said, well, Pa, you know, when you hit the ball on the bottom of the ball instead of flush, you're going to pop it up. And he thought about it for a long time, you know, and then finally.
Billy came up to me and he said, you know, the next time you play, put some insoles in your shoes. This way it makes you a little taller, and you hit the ball in the middle. <laughs> Here you are, you grew up in San Francisco, and then you go to Philadelphia to play in the big leagues. What was that like going out to the East Coast, where obviously you say you'd never seen a big league game, it's the whole other side of the country. What was that like? Well, it was, especially Philadelphia, you know. Philadelphia kind of like uh, an old... Uh, Type, you know, uh, town, New England, mm-hmm. and everything is different, you know, and all. And, but New York, when you're in New York, you know, everything, people walk around, run around, walk around like crazy there, you know. St. Louis was a real quiet town, it was real nice. Washington, of course, a political town. But there was a big change, and, uh, but I enjoyed it, you know. I mean, you got used to it, you know, after you were there a while. Chicago was uh, a pretty tough town, especially playing with the White Sox and living on the south side, you know. It was kind of tough down there. Tough in what way? Well, you know, you could tell that the people, you know, changed, you know. The people were a little rougher, a little tougher. And you had to be careful of what you said, you know. got used to it. Did you ever hear fans or other players use ethnic terms toward you as an Italian? No, no, uh uh-uh. Never. But I'll tell you what. I played with the A's three years. The old saying is, if a show ever went to Philadelphia and proved to be a success, it would be a success anywhere. If you played in Philadelphia in front of those Philadelphia fans, the toughest fans in the world, you could play anywhere. I had them throw shoes at me, and uh, they had uh, these cups about so big, you know, with ice in them, and fill them with lemonade and a straw in them. And the people up on the top deck, you know, you're looking down like this at the third baseman, and they'd suck all that... Uh, lemonade out and then they take the top of it and they just roll it like this and you make a boot or something and boom they come down after it. I remember I kicked the ball in the latter part of a ball game playing the Yankees and we were ahead seven to five and Babe Dalvin was the hitter with a man on and he hit a swinging buck down the third base and I come running in I picked it up you know like a third base would try and then throw it threw it over Dick Siebert's head and hit against the screen and rolled down and Dahlgren wound up on third with the tying run and one run went in. She everything came out of that stands up there. Somebody took off a shoe and threw it at me. And I went over and picked it up and it was a brand new Blossom shoe size eight and a half, and I said to myself, throw the other one down, and I got a pair of shoes. And there were two brothers.
One was on the first base side, and one was on the third base side. And the ballpark in Shy Park in Philadelphia had the, the acoustics like an opera house. You know, you didn't have to talk very loud, they could hear you. And they would talk to one another. And if they got on you, and you was in the middle, a good night, they really got on you. They used to get on Al Simmons so bad. Used to make Al so mad and everything. Mr. Mack called both of those two brothers up in his office and gave them both to see a season pass and told them, don't just leave our ball players alone, especially Al Simmons. Don't get on him anymore. They gave him a season ticket to get him off of Simmons. Wow. And boy, they used to train, you know, what a fireball he was. Boy, and he used to stir up a little sugar every once in a while, you know. And they'd get on him. They were the toughest fans in the world, Philadelphia. If you could play there, you could play any place. But even those fans never I, talked uh, about you as an Italian. No, oh, no, oh, no. Oh. Well, in, in, they didn't call you, you know, uh, uh, a WAP or anything, you know, a Jago. They called you a Guinea. You know, some, I didn't know what a guinea was at the time when I went back. It tells me mean a guinea. Hey, guinea, you know, Wario, you know, something like that. But uh, Wap and Dago, you never heard that. Were those the fans? Yeah. Yeah. And then, too, you know, the fans were so close to the field. You know, the foul, like the foul territory was maybe about from here to the th second or third table over. You know, they were right close to everything. Boy, they could really holler at you. Hey. Some of the, uh, some of the parks, you know, were quite a long ways, you know, from, uh, from the foul line, so you didn't pay any attention to them. When, especially when there was a big crowd. You couldn't hear it. All you heard was a big rumble all the time. But what, in those days, you know, when there wasn't very many people coming out to the ballpark, that one individual, you could hear him all the time. Come over there and say, son of a so-and-so, you know, but you couldn't say anything. But they'd really get on. Philadelphia was the worst. Supposedly it's still How do you compare them? Do you think you, the fundamentals are not as sound? Oh, no, I would say that uh, fundamentally and all, I would say that uh, the big league, all the big league clubs have got their superstars. Then I think the most important players on the club are the journeyman players. Those that are in there every day, you know, and they play that game, you never read about them or nothing. And then you got your, you know, your rookies or your substitute players. But I would say today, with as many ball clubs as there are in, in the major leagues, that there are a lot of players that are not major league players on the roster. You know, but they have to have 25 players, you know. So many players in the farm system where they can bring them up and down. That's why you see so many players go down and come back up. Like today, you never saw that in the 30s and 40s because there was only 16 clubs, eight clubs in the American League, eight clubs in the National League. And if you were on the big league club in those days, you were considered a major league player. And I mean, and, uh, hey, you had to bear down on your job and play hurt because if somebody behind you take your job, you may not get back in there again.
you play with soft fingers and soft legs or whatever. How you feel? I feel great. Okay. But you didn't want to get out of there. Today, to get a hangnail, they might get on a 15-day disabled list, see, but uh, Guaranteed the and I covered the major league clubs for 17 years, you know, I went to spring training down in Arizona for 17 years when I was with the White Sox, and uh, in the event of a trade, or if somebody uh, was sound physically or something like that, if they were involved in the trade or chance to buy them, they wanted to know if they would, could they help our ball club. And that was one of the big decisions you had to make as a scout and all that, have cuts enough to say, no, there's no way he could help our club. And he might turn out to be a pretty good player, see, but at that time, what you saw of him, you couldn't see him helping the ball club, so you had to turn him down same way physically if the guy was sound you know and you'd say oh he's all right physically he's fine and all that well i've always said that ted williams in my book was the greatest hitter i ever played against but the best all-around ball player i ever played against was joe dimaggio i mean joe could beat you so many ways he could beat you on the bases he could beat you in the out he could beat you in the outfield and in my book in a jam was a better hitter than Ted Williams, I would say, because Ted Williams, that ball had to be right there, so, you know, or he wouldn't swing at it, you know, but once you got the ball, if he, he was the best I ever saw turning the bat loose, but he took a lot of pitches, and he got a, lace, a lot of base on ball. Joe would want to knock that running. That ball was that far outside, one you'd whack at the right center or something, but in the jam, he was a tough out. Uh, Ted Williams caught it. Guys used to say, how the hell do you get Ted Williams out? Walk him. <laughs> Put him on base. Now, this is a true fact. We were playing Boston in Philadelphia in 1939. And Ted Williams had hit a home run the first time up. Big, tall, skinny kid at the time. You know, that's when they stuck the name on him. The splendid, the splendid splinter, you know, and all that. But he had such a great swing. Now, we've gone into the, uh, the uh, top of the ninth. We're ahead in the ball game, five to two. Bases loaded, two outs. And Mr. Mack trying to get Frankie Hayes' attention. And I'm tripping, and finally I hollered time. I said, Frank, look in the dugout. And Mr. Mack goes like this. And I said, should have put him on, walking. Frank looked at him, he said, Mr. Mack, the bases are loaded. He says, I know that, walk him. Walked up there, I said, okay. The pitchers walked him, four balls, walked in a run. Jimmy Fox is the next hitter. Oh, now I turned it around, see, now I'm playing third bases game. Fox could pull that ball, see. I said, well, either. If I could get anywhere in front of the ball, I'm going to block it. If I knock it down, all I got to do is pick it up and step on third base. As it was, he gets a pop fly to the infield. It looked like it went up about 40 stories, you know. Nobody said anything, you know, like, I got it, you know, like you were saying, I got it. So finally he got up and I said, I'm going to try it. I just got out of the way and if I don't catch the ball right by the mound. 
and the game was over. See, we got him out of there, but he couldn't. They couldn't figure out why walk him with the bases loaded. So the newspaper. As soon as the game was over, Mr. Mack used to go up and walk up in his office. But this time he came in the clubhouse. All the newspaper men came in there and they wanted to know why he walked Ted Williams. And he says, hey, he says, I'd rather give him one than give him four. And that was a true story. And that was when it was rookie year. Rookie year. Wow. Yeah. a lot of respect. Great hit on one. So and he would write it down. Best wishes, Joe DiMaggio.